Hello, happy Sunday, and welcome to this episode of the Chillinoy Podcast. If you're watching it on YouTube live right now, thank you so much for tuning in um, and making us a part of your Sunday. I'll keep this quick. I know you're tuning in because this is the first time we've ever had a cop on the show. Isn't that crazy? We've gone from smoking pot and talking about cops to smoking pot with cops on the show. Oh, what a crazy road we've been on. Hey, this will be the first time we've had a cop on the show, but in case you didn't know, we have a Patreon page, which is where we debut our newest content. And for the second time, I've sat down with a cop. So you're about to watch the first time I've ever talked to a cop on the Chillinoy podcast. I just had another cop on the show. His name is Howard Wolderidge. It was episode number 266, and like I say, you can stream it on our Patreon page right now. That's patreon.com slash Chillinois. It only costs $3 to support us. It's the best way to support us, and it allows you to get exclusive access to new content from us. If Howard sounds familiar, if his name sounds familiar, it's because you may have seen him on at the Capitol lobbying for federal cannabis policy. You may even recognize him because he wears crazy shirts like uh, the shirt that he wore during my interview, which said, cops say legalize heroin. Ask me why. I asked him why and so much more. Once again, you can stream that episode, the second conversation I've ever had with a cop on this podcast on Patreon right now. Just go to patreon.com slash that's episode number 266. We have several other episodes that are available exclusively for streaming on Patreon right now, including our series with legal sex workers from the state of Nevada. That's right. If you didn't know, prostitution is completely legal in the state of Nevada. So we've been sitting down with licensed sex workers, both currently employed and formerly employed, as well as managers and other people that work at the licensed brothels. For a conversation, not about what happens in the bedroom, but a conversation about what the working conditions are like at an establishment like this. Is it a happy place to work at? Would you want to work there? Find out the answer at chillinoynet slash sex. Once again, those episodes are available exclusively for streaming on our Patreon right now. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dave Franco the very first member of law enforcement to come onto the Chillinois podcast. Enjoy the show. Well, Dave, uh, welcome to the Chillinois podcast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, Cole, thank you very much for, 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 for having me. Um, my name is Dave Franco. I, let's see, how do I describe myself? <laughs> I actually, uh, uh, related to what we're talking about, related to our purpose here, I, um, I was a Chicago police officer for 31 years and um, became a member of Law Enforcement Action Partnership when viewing i was pretty progressive in most of my views to begin with uh became a member of law enforcement action partnership leap also known as leap and uh have been advocating for drug policy 
and criminal justice law enforcement reform since joining since joining LEAP. I'm currently an adjunct professor at Wright College, and I'm teaching uh, administration of juvenile justice, and I'm also teaching uh, police organization and management. And um, I love my students, and I love the opportunity to uh, um, to share what little knowledge I, I have um, with my with my students at Wright. It's it, it's really been literally like I don't mean that in a corny way, uh, life changing. Um, I don't know what else. What else? I don't know. That that, that kind of the nutshell. Me and other other stuff too. I play drums in a rock and roll band. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. I, don't, I don't like that. Not like, uh, that's a big part of me. Um, so, and I've got a, an incredible wife and daughter that I am madly in love with. So, uh, that's awesome. That kind of puts it in a nutshell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, uh, thank you for introducing yourself. So, you said 30 years in law enforcement? 31. Hold on. 31. 31. Yes. Nice. And don't ask me where that 31 years went because, boy, it was. Uh, it was something else. It, 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 it was, um, I, I honestly, you know, I, I, I can't account for it, you know, and I, I really, really, I'd still be working if I could, but I, I aged out. Actually, it worked out because I would not have been able to do what I'm doing now. I wouldn't have been able to teach, um, you know, and we moved out of the city too. I would still have been, been, been in the, in the city. So, um, which, you know, I love, born and raised uh, in Uptown. Um, so I, I, you know, I still, I still feel that sometimes, man. I'll go back into the city and like I was on the street, you know, I also, uh, uh, my, I'm a private investigator, a licensed investigator with the state of Illinois. It's called a detective license. Um, and I work on, um, I work with the law department for the city. They retain me. And I also work with uh, some of the bigger law firms in the city on, on well, police misconduct cases primarily. Um, but I'm also working now on a case, a wrongful conviction case, where we're, uh, where actually our client is a state's attorney who was accused of, of some untoward uh, at coercing a, a uh, uh, coercing some testimony. Um, from individuals and we're, we're trying to, it's pretty complicated. There are 60, I believe 60 witnesses in this case and there's about $60 million at stake. So um, it's serious stuff. I like that because it gets me back on the street, which I just, you know, there's nothing, you know, I know this is the Chillinoy podcast. We're talking sometimes about mm, altering your mental state. But man, there's nothing that gets me higher than than going that. I get high. Nothing that gets me higher than being on the street. It is just like, it's awesome. It's awesome. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I can only imagine, dude. Well, to tell us, like, how did you? I got the impression that you were kind of part of the hippie culture before you got in law enforcement, and maybe that was maybe that's not entirely true. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. But I was gonna ask. So you're probably one of the first people in law enforcement uh, or formerly law enforcement to come on this show. And I just, I know that this is going to be fascinating for our audience. So tell us how you got into law enforcement 31 years ago. 
this or is roughly this is pretty funny this, this is kind of how my life has been just like like stumbling along and things happen uh no predetermination of any sort so my uh um yeah i, I guess my dad was a was a uh, music teacher and um pretty progressive with uh uh with his viewpoints uh which is odd because he's and i look back at that particular part of my life i don't know what changed but with him but anyway the uh so I, he would send me down to a place called Carl Fisher Music, which was at Wabash and uh, like Wabash and um, and um, uh, Jackson. And uh, he would give me the like the top. I would pick up like a the the top the top forty survey of songs that were on the radio and he, he would send me down I was like 10 or 12 years old taking a red line down there um and I would call him up and read off the the, the top five or ten and I would buy the sheet music for those songs and bring them back home and he would transpose the sheet music for his students and once once the Beatles hit everybody wanted to be in a rock and roll band so he had he had a lot of students. I remember him teaching like all day, all, all night on the weekends. Um, but he would also tell me, you know, make sure you pick up the Black Panther newspaper on the way home. So I would get, there was a place called the, the Book Box that was next to the uh, Uptown Theater, which was a total head shop, like total, total head. So I was tenured. So this is 67. 68, 69, right? I was 12 years old. So it was completely all hippied up, you know, and uptown was a craziness um, throughout the 70s also, from the 60s and 70s. So he was a he was a, a, a Black Panther defense fund a contributor. Um, I remember one time that that he had self-addressed stopped envelopes with with um, Angela Davis. Um, was was the chairperson um and i had those i had a fred hampton pen and i had some uh, envelopes and then when there was a a, a, a museum exhibit at dusable museum and i brought these up to the you know i went there it was it was some years back maybe 10 years back and i brought what i had from that black panther era that my father had kept and i gave it to the curator and they're looking at me like what's this white dude doing with with this stuff and i explained i'm like oh okay that's cool um so so i i don't know that 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 i don't know if that how how deeply ingrained it was uh in me but i did see i didn't grow up in a mixed neighborhood but two other thing is i grew up on uptown and, and, and my high school had uh uh um, um, um it wasn't a native american it was the indian club indian greek italian german Swedish, uh, black, uh, Mexican, Puerto Rican. Those were the clubs in high school. Um, there's an Asian, there was an Asian club too. That's, that's how mixed it was during that time. So I think that a lot of, I mean, I'd like to think that, um, that it's just a matter of, I mean, if you see people for what they are and looking for the same thing, it doesn't matter what color they are, what religion they are, 
They want to be safe. They want to be uh, have a you know uh, have their family taken care of. You know, just these basic needs that are that are met and that are important to everyone, no matter what. You know, have an appreciation for that, and not look at somebody like what their the color of their skin or their religion or their culture. You know, so um, maybe I'm over oversimplifying that, and that and that's my personality. You know, I really want to like people, um, but that certainly helped me. I mean, I, I did, I, I did, and I, I and moving into what I do currently or what I did when I became a police officer. Um, so I, my buddy George, my dear friend George, um, his brother was like one of our idols growing up. We call him John Bond, you know, um, like James Bond, but John, John Bond. And he was an ass kicking police, police officer, killed several people. Um, you know, when he was out there working in, um, um, you know, when, when we had the opportunity to take the test, he said, come on, let's, let's go take the test. Man. We'll, we'll be partners, man. We'll work together. We'll kick in doors. We'll catch the bad guys. Uh, and by the way, it's not like that. So, uh, so it was a last minute thing. This is how he, he literally knocks on my window, you know, like, come on, man, we're taking the test today. I'm blurry eyed. And, you know, so we, we, we go to, they're shutting the doors on us, literally. It was almost like, like a movie when we're running in slow motion and they're shutting the doors and we're like, ah. <laughs> right. That's how it was. So we take the test. You know, it was funny though, because I said, I don't want to be a cop. But I mean, look, they hassle you for no reason. I'd have to get a haircut. I had my hair down to my shoulders there and dyed like four different colors, like Tommy Bowling. Yeah, they don't tend to have that long like, hair. Like and I looked at him, I go, and we can't pass a drug test. I go, what do you want to do here? You know, are you really watching <laughs> this? So as it turned out, uh, we both became police officers. And I had a lot of Kelly, Kelly became a police officer, my buddy uh, 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 Eric. Um, so four guys that I literally grew up with together all became police officers and did various things in, within the police department. So um, that, that Community policing really saved my, my you know, I, I, it, it, to, to go into policing in the early 90s, um, you know, I was on the street for five years and, it, you know, it reached a point where I'm like, is this really it? Is this how this is going to work? You know, it's just like, just, I mean, I, I enjoyed it because the street was was fascinating. Um, and, you know, and dealing with people on every level, I thought was always uh, fascinating. But... Um, um, the community policing was the worldwide trend in the early nineties. And I was, uh, I went back to school and, um, I saw that as a trend and we, and by up in Rogers park worked at uh, the 24th district where Devon and Clark and the stations there. So it was quite diverse. You had the lakefront and then you it went west all the way to the river. And um, I don't know, at some point in time, I thought that there were like, I don't know how many, 53 different languages and 23 different religions. And it was extremely, and they're very well organized for a community. Um, and, and so community policing became, was introduced. And we were, I was a little bit ahead of the, the Chicago Police Department wasn't prepared to implement it at, at all. 
Um, but the community was waiting for us to, to, um, become, to understand and, and impl implement community policing. And, and, and that community is wonderful. And I still have friends that are there. And I grew up right down the street. And then once I, 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 you know, I, I moved around, I lived right in Rogers Park, a couple of apartments I had, and you know, used to run around there and play in a million, a million bars up there. So, so um, why well, had a, 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 a progressive boss, and I use that term. And really was, quick, was, I just was, wanted to, yeah. I just wanted to explain for people listening, am I correct in saying that community policing is, and I just Googled it, the system of allocating police officers to particular areas so that they become familiar with the locals? I mean, is that a pretty accurate? Yeah, that, 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 that's at a bare minimum. That, that's, okay. that, that's the starting that's the starting point. And then uh, I'll tell you this, <laughs> this is funny, dude. And Freddie Lowe, so, so I was I'm like, oh, wow, this is gonna be great. We're gonna we work with the community. And, and, uh, um, and uh, my partner, Freddie, who I was working 2432, so I worked right around that Loyola area and, and the police district, the police station. And um, Freddie, we get a request as soon as it, as soon as there were five prototype districts in Chicago, and Rogers Park was one of those. And it was the most organized. That's why community policing worked because there was a commitment by the police department and the community together. Um, so we get a request from a community group to have the beat officers, which I was primary beat 2432, uh, to come to a meeting to talk about community police. And my partner, Freddie, um, we go to the meeting and he looks at me and he says, I'm not going in there because you like these community people. You go in there. I'm staying in the car. And he stayed in the car. So that was kind of like the, the so if you, if you didn't buy into it, there, the, the, and I bought into it because I believe like there's got to be a better way to do this than, you know, locking somebody up for a $5 bag, $10 bag of, of weed for sure. So we, um, um, they, they pulled me off the car and I worked in, uh, in community police in a neighborhood relations office um, and, and for a couple of years there, which was great because I was district wide to work with every, every community group that was, that was there. We did a lot. Of, we got a lot done. We really did a lot. And community policing more as we, as, as in, in, in our permutation in Rogers Park was the community comes to the police department and presents these are the problems that we perceive that need to be taken care of. And rather than the police saying, uh, no, we're going to, you know, we got car thefts, you know, you, 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 you go into your database and there, there's car thefts over here and there's graffiti here and there's drug sales there. And then the police are telling the community where the prop, no, 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 no. The community is telling the police, these are our priorities. And we can work on those other things, but this is what we want to get done first. And we problem solve and, you know, come up with, with, with what we can do to um, address those problems. And then the follow-up, you just can't say, you know, well, my problem's gone, so I'm not going to the next meeting, which is a real issue. And I don't know how they're going to resolve Because at Rogers Park, they were wonderful. They, they know they were, everyone was in it for the, for the long, you know, for, for the long term. So... Um, that was really community policing. We got a lot. We got. We, we really got a lot done. Um, so I, I wound up going to uh, uh, 
my boss, Tom Byrne, who's I'm still friends with and, and a mentor to me, um, he got promoted and took me with him. Or we went, to, we went down to a, a, a bigger area and he was responsible as a deputy for five districts. So we continued to implement what we, what we learned um, or what we developed in Rogers Pride, including the drug and gang house prosecution ordinance, which is still in effect in the city. We, we crafted that, but we, we were holding building owners accountable for criminal activity on their property. Um, there was a state statute, but we wanted to keep it local. So we developed a city ordinance so we could keep it in, a, in our local court um, and keep it where we could go to court with our community members. So um, we implemented that citywide. We actually wound up locking up a, a, a slumlord, the, the Kaplan's. They're, I think they're both dead by now. Uh, it was pretty funny because they were like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. They were like, do exactly, you have to look like, which one is it? You wouldn't know who, who it was. They all wore suspenders and they were like these, these, these older Jewish guys. And, and I would look at them and say, well, how come you're not in Boca, man? What are you doing here fighting this fight with all these, you know, like, oh, I got all these buildings, all these problems, whatever. Well, yeah, you got problems, all right. Uh, the, the district commander wants to, uh, wants to talk to you. Um, <laughs> and we, we wound up uh, actually locking them up. They had a building that they let go to, to crap. And we locked them up physically. Uh, locked them up. He goes, looks at me, Tom Byrne. I, I told Kaplan, I go, come on in. He wants to talk to you. He goes, ah, this is building code stuff. I'm in building court all the time. The police have nothing to do with this. I go, okay. And Kaplan comes in and Byrne tells him that. And he looks at me and he goes, read him his rights. I'm like, man. So yeah. the community loved it. Um, the city loved it. So they said, we want to put, we want to codify this so we can apply it citywide. Um, so we went to area five and we continued to, to I was in narcotics for, uh, for a time there. That's when I really saw um, the drug problem as it, uh, because all we worked on were street corner conspiracy cases. And um, in, in, in the abject crime and individuals who really, um, the last thing you want to do is put them in jail because that's not the help that they need. So I, that's when I started looking outside of the police. I'm like, you know, this is just not. You know, these young, particularly black and, and brown, for the most part, we worked in areas that were that were black. And I will say this, part of our problem today, and I contend um, that the, the overwhelming contact between law enforcement and the black and brown community is based on the suspicion of drug activity or the use of drugs. And, and it's negative. And until we straighten that out, um, we are still going to have issues between law enforcement and uh, and the community. Um, so that's got to be, we got to end, we must end the drug. It must end. And I don't know, and I know that, that marijuana is legal in, in, in our state, but they screwed that up too. You know, I, I just, I, I just, you know, I, it's cheaper to buy weed on the street, plain and simple, you know? So um, I did see, you know, ab it was abject 
where the only economy in certain areas was the drug trade. And you've got these young men in particular who had no other choice but to get involved in that. And, um, and I'm thinking, what, what, what are we doing here? I mean, what are we actually trying to accomplish? So uh, I came across LEAP, Law Enforcement Action Partnership, and uh, I did a kind of a, I'm a Taurus. So I guess if you're a Taurus, then, I mean, you're all in on everything. So um, no different than when I was involved with, uh, uh, I got involved with LEAP, and that's been a, just an amazing journey for me. Um, and, and I will say this also, Cole, there's, there's only, there's not a lot of police officers. I think there was, who's the only other one? I uh, got it. His, he, um, uh, his name slips my mind. He's now, he's working on, I think he's working on his PhD um, at Northeastern. Uh, 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 Buslick. Uh, Lieutenant Buslick. I, I forgot his first name. Um, he's a member of LEAP. I'm a member of LEAP. And Mark, Mark Buslick. Mark with a C. Um, I don't know anybody else that's a member of LEAP in the Chicago Police Department out of 12,000 plus. But I, I know everyone was like, yeah, yeah, that's just Franco. He's always, you know, this, you know, he thinks everybody can be saved, you know. So, uh, um, but I did run into some issues with, you know, some hardcore police officers that are like, you know, it's illegal and you know, it's a, it's a uh, especially weed. Um, that's a gateway drug. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to start with this because if I've got it, you know, and I would explain to them that it's called weed for a reason. It's indigenous to this earth. We can go back 125 million years ago and see that there is, there, there is, there was and is um, evidence of our use. The, the, the Denisovians, are you, do you know who the, 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 the uh, a, a, the Denisov so, so I taught a couple of years back we at Wright College we we had a certification for uh uh cannabis processing technician and we're gonna reconstitute that. I think there's some money out there. We're gonna we wanna put a grow together so we can actually get our hands in the dirt. So I think we're gonna reconstitute that. But I taught intro to cannabis um as part of that 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 curriculum. And I think it was an inside joke. They're like we're going to get the cop to teach about cannabis. That's funny. <laughs> so I loved it. It was great. I did what, you know, I did some, some, some science, very cursory, um, but I did a lot of history. And if you look back on, 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 on the genesis of marrow of, of cannabis use, it does go back 125 million, 125 million years. And, um, um, so, I mean, we're, what are we doing? You know, we're, we're trying to, and, and we know that we, and I'll include you in this, we know that any, any prohibition laws that are created to prohibit do not. All they do is create a black market. Right. And, 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 and with our drug, with our, with the Controlled Substance Act, which was never meant to, for for the health or benefit of any of individuals, <laughs> right, right. That, that, no, that was created simply because Richard Nixon was a was a, a paranoid fiend who 
who was worried that, that the hippies and the black liberation movement and the anti-war, the, the, I would say not the hippies, the anti-war movement, which included hippies, and the black liberation movement, if those two forces joined together, he felt that they were a threat to democracy as we knew it in, in, 19, in, in, in 1970. When did, when did he get, uh, in 73, so the Control of Substance Act was, was 1972, I believe. Yeah. Um, and the only reason why he created that was, and, and Ehrlichman said it, his, his, one of his main henchmen said the only reason why we made it illegal is because we wanted to lock up the leaders, um, the blacks with cocaine and heroin, and the and the and the and the anti-war movement with marijuana. Did we know that there there was no basis for us to, to clinically to do that? Of course we did, but we did it anyway. And Ehrlichman came right out and said it in an Esquire magazine interview in 1990. I believe it was in 1994. So everything that we do based on the, and every 90 seconds someone gets arrested for violating the Controlled Substance Act. And that, so everything we do related to that is based on a lie as far as I'm concerned. You know, because the, 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 the as, I, as I read, what was it? I don't know what, what it was. We built a statue on clay feet. So that's what the Controlled Substance Act well, is. And, and I just want to briefly interject that I think it's really notif notable to, to mention that, you know, it's, I think it's important to note that many other substances such as poisonous chemicals are literally poison or, yeah. you know, uh, that pose significant dangers to human health are not included in the list of scheduled drugs. The only dr drugs that are scheduled are the ones that affect your consciousness in a way that the government might not agree with. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For lack of better words. So, uh, so that, that's what brought me to Leap. I, I, but Leap, Leap has been uh, um, the opportunity to, I was, I was, I'm honored to have been able to, uh, uh, to, to uh, I believe, get some things accomplished. We've got, you know, I've got some op-eds that were, that were published in, in uh, I'm pointing to them on my wall, um, a deep, deep, uh, decriminalizing small amounts of, of, of drugs, which I'm glad we're moving in that direction. Law enforcement is moving in that direction, diversion and deflection. Um, also, uh, co-respondent, I've got, I've got bad news for Brandon Johnson. Um, Brandon Johnson thinks that he, he, he makes it sound like having healthcare um, professionals responding to, to, to calls, uh, mental health calls in the city of Chicago is his idea. It's been now it's been in effect, I believe, for at least two years with the care team program. It's been around in uh, uh, Perry um, on the East Coast for probably 20, 20 years. Um, and, it, and, and that, that uh, um, now law enforcement is, is, is moving towards that harm reduction um, cohort, um, understanding that, depending on who you're asking, between 38, I believe, uh, percent and 60% of 
911 calls do not require a, a law enforcement response. Um, so um, it, it's laid out pretty much, but I'm, I'm actually reading a book now that, uh, how about this, no more police. But what they're coming up with, what the, uh, um, what the authors are, are presenting is that, and these were the statistics, I look, we don't need police to respond to, you know, a, a, a measurable percentage of, uh, of the calls. Um, and, you know, I tell my students this, if somebody picks up the phone and says a spaceship landed on the corner of State and Madison, guess what? They're sending a, a police car out there, you know? So, um, It'd be pretty cool, actually, right? Wow! <laughs> right. I mean, that would account for all those, uh, um, for what's going on. Um, so, it, it, to, to, to me, we, we're, I think we're moving forward, um, in, especially in terms of harm reduction. The, 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 the issue with police officers, um, they want to help. They want to do something, you know? So, for them to be in a situation where, they're, where they can't help, I think, puts them... You know that 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 they're they're uh, they don't feel like they that they're adequate, um, but then again they they can't solve every single problem even though they're called upon to just about solve every single problem. So I think the movement towards harm reduction is 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 very very important, and more important is the realization that we should be moving towards harm reduction in the law enforcement um, world, that's what's important because now the culture and the mindset is, is changing. And it's gonna be generational. Um, my students get a full dose of law enforcement action partnership policy. So um, um, as I said earlier, I have students that, uh, there's other instructors that are not quite like me um, and, and one of my students last year said, he compared me to another instructor. I won't mention the other instructor's name, but he said, <laughs> "Sure." he said, that instructor thinks everyone's a scumbag and you think everybody can be saved. I go, well, see, is it good? So you get both sides, you get his perspective and your perspective. Yeah. So, uh, no, I'm very, very fortunate to have, uh, uh, and currently working on, on several, um, Several house bills that are very, very important uh, coming up this week. I don't know why they're all coming up this week. We've got the um, um, the overdose prevention site. I meant to say the Illinois Cure Act, which is really um, when we're talking about trying to deschedule psychedelics, and really, really proven now to uh, with PTSD and. Uh, and um, PTSD and depression with micro dosing of psychedelics. Um, this is, I think, really an interesting. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a, a world changer for some individuals. Um, and then, of course, what with the overdose prevention, uh, I'm working with uh, with the Illinois Harm Reduction and Recovery Coalition uh, and the wonderful work that. Chelsea Lalaberte does uh, with uh, with her with with her nonprofit work uh, is fantastic, and I'm also working with Leap on 
on uh, another House bill and Senate bill that would help eliminate fines related to juveniles uh, as a as a disposition. It's kind of believe it or not, but the juveniles have to pay for probation and they have to pay for electronic monitoring and and these these kids come from right. families that can't afford. Sure. That. And they just get buried under these fines. And guess what? We put them in jail. The worst thing we could do is, you know, we want to rehabilitate them. We want to put them in right. community programs. You know, that's what we're what what what, what we should be doing. And and, and we do. And, and uh, there's 14 states that are actually involved in a more progressive um, manners of restitution. And Illinois has got a uh, got to become a part of that so those are my public service announcements for them yeah for well work. hey i want i love everything you had to say i wanted to kind of i feel like i've got a pretty good idea how we can go from here like you know you mentioned that you have people that kind of ascribe that you seem to be let's just say a little too optimistic but i like take it as you speaking from experience and realizing what your scope of work should be and what it shouldn't be. And I, and I wonder like from your perspective, how does that not calculate for people that you're like, look, dude, you remember those? Like, I, I just think of like, particularly in the instance of talking about sending a social worker, like you're literally like, that's something you don't have to deal with anymore. Like, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've watched cops, but it seems like most of what's on cops is like domestic disputes. And it's like, yeah. should that be a armed person there or should that be a mediator? You know, just somebody who can mediate a dispute. Like, why yeah. does there have to be an armed, you know, agent of the, the government there? And I'm not saying that there can't be. I'm just saying, like, maybe he should also be accompanied by a mediator, somebody who knows how to mediate, <laughs> you know. And so I guess my question was, sorry, uh. My question is, how does it seems like people take it as you dissing on the police, but really you're saying, hey, I support law enforcement. I just want to more accurately define what our role should be. It seems like that's what you're saying. Yeah, that, 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 that's very well encapsulated. And, you know, and, and because I'm working for change within law enforcement, particularly the Chicago Police Department, you know, I've been accused of being a hater. Right. And that's the farthest thing from me. I, the the vast majority of police officers that I have worked with and worked for are they care deeply about what they do, and they care about the community that they serve. And um, I I I think that I want it to be the best police department in the world. So there's no you know, you can't, I, hey, 31 years, you know, if I thought it was going to be something that, 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 you know, I don't want to say that, that, you know, my 31 years, I've got some divine right to, uh, to, uh, you know, to the police department. <laughs> right. But um, I saw it in 30, you know, you got to give me some, you may not give me credit for, for, for a lot. Certainly not in this house. My wife is like, ah, God, but I don't want to hear your lectures. Um, but th that's exactly as you, uh, in, in, encapsulated. So I, 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 
I, I feel that um, that we can we can always do better. Um, I, I just you know it's going to be very very interesting to see what happens um, with the mayoral election and who the uh, who the superintendent is going to be. I think that's going to be very very telling. I don't think Chicago's got a deep bench, you know. Um, and, and, and I know that Eric Carter is the first deputy that was an interim. He's the interim superintendent. And I'll tell you right now, nobody likes the guy. So if they make him superintendent, it's not going to work. You know, morale yeah. is already um, uh, a, a huge issue within the police department. So we'll see how that goes moving forward. Gotcha. Quick, couple quick rapid fire questions. Uh, what was your last year in law enforcement? Like when did you retire? 2020, January of 2020. I, oh, I, wow. Yeah. My, my last, uh, um, I, I, I kind of specialized for my last eight, I believe it was like the last eight years I was detailed to the law department for the city of Chicago. So I worked with a lot of people hate lawyers. I love lawyers. I worked with, uh, probably like, 20 plus lawyers on the, the on the building and uh, land usage, uh, building a license, building a license enforcement BLE. But I also worked on in the labor division, where we held um, we held city employees, police and, and other city employees responsible for uh, adhering to the rules and regulations of employment. So I I had a lot of you know cases that we're essentially getting people fired for violating these rules and regulations. Um, and, the, and the collective bargaining agreement, it's kind of counterintuitive. If you get arrested for committing a crime, even if you're found guilty, you still don't get fired from the city. That's a separate hearing. Because the collective bargaining agreement protects those employees. Right. So, but we did the, we did the civil, the civil uh, prosecution with them. So I did that, and that's what that, that's what I was retained after that to uh, to continue working on uh, on uh, with the late with the with the with the corporation counsel's office and uh, police misconduct cases. So I had really I had thirty one years of, of I can count on my hands on the, the, the you know the, the on, on one hand the, the handful of, of of bad days I had, and comparatively speaking, God no, it was it was one. I love it. I love the police department. Love everybody that I work with. You know, I can't say enough about about. Um, you know, I don't know what the perception is. Um, they're out there just they want to just do their job and, and get home to their families. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, so twenty twenty, you retired. I'm interested to hear you mentioned a a scenario in which you were talking about a building code, and your boss said, "Hey, read him his rights." I'm interested to hear like. <laughs> What, what was, so I'm sure it depends on context. Like, I'm sure if you're like arresting somebody that had just assaulted an old lady and you yeah. like saw it, it's like, okay, it feels good to lock that person up to yeah. an extent, you know, like maybe they're having a bad day, but they don't need to be on the street tonight. Right. Yeah. So in that context probably feels good. Like, Hey, we, we did some good work tonight. Um, stops, you know, something bad from happening or whatever. But I'm I'm curious, was there ever a case and what was the first case in which like you ha either had to arrest somebody or told somebody I had to arrest them, but in the back of your mind, you were like, 
what the fuck am I doing? Was there anything like that? What, you're talking about the, the, the building, the, the, the building situation? Or just... Well, I'm just talking about just in general. Like, I, I, I could imagine, like, I put myself in being a cop, and I'm sure there would be a night where, like, let's say it's in the 90s, and I pull somebody over, and they just have weed in the open console, and it's like, bro, I have to arrest you. I'm sorry, but I, I have to. So I'm asking you, were there any circumstances where it sucked, but you kind of had to do it, you know? Yeah, and it was a similar. It was a situation that was. I didn't have a choice. Right. Uh, I was actually ordered to arrest, and it was exactly the scenario that you that that, um, that you came on. Because I was like, "Look, you got a bag of weed. Don't be an idiot." You know what sure. I would do is that they, I, I would do the like. Well, I can't really let them go, so I I make them dump it out. Sure. You know? And then that would be our our compromise. You know, and they they'd be like, because I they they would be like. They would be happy to do disappointed, but at the same time, they knew what the results were going to be. So um, I I was ordered. I got a sergeant that pulled up on to see exactly what you exactly the scenario, and it was too late at that point in time. And I'm like, you know, and and I and I probably looking back on it, he made me arrest that it was a young kid too or younger. Uh, I, I was I was ordered to arrest that individual. And I actually think that the reason why the sergeant came by is because he probably if, 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 if he probably suspected that that was you know a great deal of discretion when you're on the street. Well my guess is he probably suspected that I would probably let the let the kid go. Um, so he wanted to make sure that 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 that, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that, it was there. Even the thing was in, in narcotics, when I was in narcotics, we were locking people up that would, how about this? It would be a, a street corner conspiracy. So we would get arrest warrants for individuals that were over a period of time, they would sell drugs to undercover police officers. The state's attorneys would issue arrest warrants. We would arrest those individuals for um, over a period of time, we had enough evidence. We'd arrest those individuals uh, as part of the conspiracy. The conspiracy charges were higher charges because it proved a more organized operation than than Cole Preston just pitching dope on, on a street corner by himself. Um, so that's why we wanted to work over a period of time to prove that there was an organized operation. But the next day, what we would do is we would, when I say me, I mean the, like the, 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 the narcotics division. The next day, we would lock up the individuals that came to buy. Um, so because now those guys are gone. We locked up 12 people. So we've got police officers that were posing now as the new, the, the new dealers. And when they would, they would, they would come up to solicit drugs from those police officers, we would lock those individuals up for solicitation. Here's the thing, they're, they're addicted, they're users. They're not, they're not selling. You know, and the vast majority of arrests that are narcotics arrests are not, you, know, you think it's Tony Montana getting arrested. It's not. These are street level individuals that are in possession or use. They're not, they're not distributing. You know, so that 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 really was when I saw that, I'm like, 
really? I mean, come on. And then people that are, have been addicted all their lives. And you're going to put them in jail for them. They need help. You need to fix this. So that, that was something that really um, kind of, I don't want to say, but it, it, it resonated to the point where, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know, um, what, what wound up happening was I, 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 I moved, um, that's when I got more into the, uh, the civil prosecution end of things. Um, and, um, and then went, went down to the, uh, I was actually in the mayor's office for like six months, believe it or not. Uh, and then, then, then I was detailed to, uh, to the law department. So, so everything changed at that point in time. Gotcha. Yeah. It's interesting. Like you say, um, even in the case of like, let's say they did bust a large distributor, one of the points I've made, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, and I can't claim to have come up with this myself. This thought was inspired by attorneys that I've spoken with and everything else. The idea is like, let's say you do find somebody, because I remember you mentioned earlier, and I hear a lot of people say this, they look they look to decriminalize like small amounts of drugs. And the idea behind saying that is like, so that we're only... So that, you know, we're not busting just users, like you say. Yeah. But I even think that, like, when it comes to large amounts, we should look at that a little bit differently. And I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. So in the case of cannabis, let's use cannabis as an example because it, it is currently legal. And let's use an analog of alcohol. Like if I was, or cigarettes, if I was caught with a large quantity of alcohol or cigarettes. And I think some people do this. Sometimes they'll go to other States and purchase cigarettes because it's sure. at a lower tax. Yeah. Yeah. And I bring all that back and try to sell it. That's a tax issue. It's very seldom. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've heard of other cases, but from what I hear, it usually ends up being a tax issue. And if it's bad enough, it could become criminal, yeah. but it's not like you're being treated as a violent criminal. You're being treated right. as you're evading taxes. Yeah, I, and it's interesting that you were mentioned earlier the cannabis law. They kind of fucked it up. I think that's one of the ways they fucked it up. Besides the fact that the legal market is way more expensive than the the you know the the alternative or the legacy yeah. market, um, I think one of the things we messed up is that we only removed we basically just decriminalized small amounts of cannabis because you can only possess up to 30 grams of cannabis every other penalty that was established in the 1978 cannabis control act yeah. is still active to this day yeah. like as it was so um i'm just curious i know that i went a, kind of on a long what do you think about it as dealing it as kind of a tax like almost like a tax issue and i know that with cannabis that's the only analog obviously we can't deal with a street level heroin dealer is a tax yeah. issue, but I mean, I don't know. I, I just think there's a better option than throwing these people in uh, a cage with, with murderers and rapists. Like we, we need to, like you say, in a, something that equates with the crime, you know? So, so what, what are we, what, what's the, um, you get five plants, um, the home right. grow. So, I think if 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 that gets the allowance for that, I think might have uh, an effect. If you're allowed to grow more, I I, I know. Yeah, so that. if if you have a medical card, you can tech at home. Yeah. And 
if you've got your card on you, you can have a higher amount of cannabis. You're absolutely yeah. right. So myself, for example, I can have five ounces of cannabis on it because I have a, I have a higher allotment. The standard allotment is actually two and a half. So most people just can hold two and a half ounces. I talked to my doctor and he says, you can hold five. It's interesting. I talked to my doctor who determined that the police can't get me for the weird, weird, but, um, um, Right. Setting that aside, you're absolutely right. If Because I have a card and because I can cultivate cannabis at home, as long as I secure all quantities that exceed 30 grams, I'm quoting the law off the top of my head, mm -hmm. um, then there is no possession limit at home. So you're absolutely right. If we were to get, for example, Carol Ammons has proposed language that basically copy and pastes the medical cannabis cultivation laws and, and changes it so that it's all adults over 21. Yes. Bingo. If it, if we did that, yes, that would go a long way towards exactly what we're just talking about where possession limits would kind of no longer be a thing, you know, right? like they aren't with alcohol or tobacco. I mean, there's no possession limit. There's no analog for that. So that I no. can think of. Yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, um, would really make changes in the way, see, I'm looking at law enforcement, and I'm like, even to even to lock somebody up now for you know possession over the the, the limit, it, it's it's a pain in the ass, you know. Yeah. It's like really, so I don't know anybody that really you know level law enforcement and that spends time that spends time doing that. So um, the, the I thought that the 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 idea or the mindset was to uh, in order to and that's one of our decriminalization um, efforts with Lee. Let's concentrate on on the serious crimes, on violent crimes. Let's eliminate the enforcement of you know that ten dollar bag of weed that's going to keep a police officer you know, in the station for three hours, you know, or, or however, you know, with the inventory and processing and what, and what have you. So um, that's why, that, that's what the point of the decriminalization uh, yeah. is. But what you're saying you know, is, what you're saying is that, and, and, I, and I don't see with weed, is it a public health issue? You know, I, I mean, I don't know if you can frame it that way. Um, I, I, I think that that the uh, um, the individuals who are benefiting from the taxes that I, so if if you're not so is the logic this if, if you're not growing your own weed you're buying it from a licensed facility and those taxes are now going to go and the profits are going to go to those licensed you know individuals or conglomerates or or, or what have you. So is that lobby the strongest lobby because they don't want they, they don't want to lose that revenue, um, and I think that 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 that's because I, I I got in a debate with um, one of the sheriff the sheriff it was the Illinois Sheriffs Association, and um, at the introduction of the Cannabis Act the the, uh, the Legalization Act, um, I believe that eight percent of the profits, I believe, were going to go to law enforcement. 
you know, and uh, and and he contended that, and that's since changed because I knew it. I'm like, the technology's going to catch up. You know, we're you know, just do better police work. You know, that's what you want to do. You want to you want to do better police work than um, he was worried about DUIs and, and everyone driving driving under the influence of of, of cannabis. And I'm like, I know the technology's going to and it, and, it, and it has. But then I said, I go, oh, is <laughs> wasn't happy. They go, oh, 8%? I go, how about this? Would you object to this if it was 12% for law enforcement? You know, and he didn't say, he was like, because I, I, you know, because I'm thinking if, if his point was like the 8% wasn't enough, either you're against this because of, 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 of whatever reason, but if you want your cut to be bigger, then don't tell me that weeds a gateway to <laughs> right. or it's right. not good for you. I'm like, hold on here, hold on for you. And then the other thing I thought on your, what I thought was really interesting, this is completely different than uh, on one of your previous podcasts, is the craft growers, um, if, if, if they would allow, if they, if there was an allowance for craft growers to be assimilated into this industry, I think that there's no limit to, you know, what, what could be accomplished. Uh, just like, I mean, it's very a stupid analog, but, you know, like the craft beer. These guys were brewing, I know somebody had grew, he was, he was brewing beer in his basement using coffee 20 years ago. I'm not exaggerating, you know? And of course, I'm like, oh, who the hell would drink that? Oh, I guess what? Right? And he would give me these, like these, these unmarked bottles. I added some, some, some like raspberry to this. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool, man. You know. Yeah. So I, I I just don't know if the industry is going to let go of that because because they're going to lose money. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about too, you just brought it up. Uh, you were talking about how you were around and and heard you know fielded concerns regarding the cannabis regulation and tax act when it kind of first started coming around what are some of the concerns that you recall hearing from the law enforcement side i mean i recall clearly hearing concerns about home grow like i could pull up an article right now that says not only law enforcement were concerned but also even the licensed cultivators sure. they opposed home grow which yeah. go to your point cut because it cuts into their profits right yeah They'll say a different reason, by the way. They actually cite public health, like you just said. The companies will say, well, you know, we need a regulated market right, right. for, you know, right? Yeah. So that's their perspective. Um, but yeah, well, I'm just curious, did you, what are some other concerns? So you mentioned, uh, I, and I heard this one too, that you mentioned uh, everybody's going to be high and driving yes. around. That yes. was a concern. Yeah. Anything else? No, it, it, the two main concerns were, were um, the driving while impaired, and the other one was that if you allowed everyone to, to, to if you, there was no limit on what, the, what you could grow at home, that everybody would become, you know, a drug dealer, a, a weed dealer. And, and, uh, and, and, and so um, that were, those were the two, main, the two main concerns, which I can, I can understand. I can understand and appreciate the, the impairment because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have somebody that's impaired, you know, driving. Same here. Yeah. You know, and, that, and, I, and as much as, as you know, I, I'm in favor of, of uh, 
uh, of the of the uh, of the legalization aspect. I don't want that to happen. But let's be honest. I, 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 you think that I'm going to fill up? You know, I, I'm going to cut out you know a quarter acre of my house, grow weed, and start to deal out of out of the front of my you know out, out of my out of my house. I'm not. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that if you're going to you're going to you're going to grow it and um, you're going to use it. I do think that that it would be a, a pretty healthy competition between you and your other your other consumers, you know, to outdo each other. Like, how about this? How about this? So those are the two main concerns were the the, um, uh, the impairment while driving and also the uh, um, also that if there was no limit that everybody would, would be their local, you know, their neighborhood weed dealer. Yeah. Do you recall any talk around odor? Uh, and the reason I ask that is because I remember, and please tell me if, if you don't remember this at all, but I remember, or like it could be anecdotal is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but I remember leading up to legalization and post-legalization, police were warning you, you know, hey, if just because it's legal doesn't mean your car can reek like weed. And in fact, if it does, we'll search your car. Um, you know, and there was even... There is still to this day language in the vehicle code that says if your cannabis is not odor proof, yeah. it's no question you are guilty of a crime. And it's back to your point of discretion with law enforcement. Yeah. You know, if they're left to, if they can just say, because that's not really something you can prove in court. So what are you going to do? Bring the weed in and be like, can you guys smell this? Like you can't really prove that that's how it smelled in the car or whatever. Yeah. Right. So. I guess my question is, did you hear any talk or um, do you recall what I recall with regard to odor and how that was an issue and still is an issue? There were people getting pulled over long before that. Sure. <laughs> that law was, 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 was put in effect. So what I think is funny is that, I mean, now maybe it, 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 it seems more prevalent. I mean, how many times have you been driving down the street? And I was just out with my my partner Tony working on a case uh, uh, last week, and we were we were driving around, and we're and it was really, it was a nice day like it, you know kind of a nice day like it is uh, it is today, and we would we're driving down the street and there was you could smell weed coming out of like this car, another <laughs> car, that car. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was not anything that was that, that was uh, uh, that was a, that was a, uh, a surprise. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know if, I, I'm sure that there's law enforcement that's using it as, as, as a probable cause, as a, you know, as a stop, um, you know, probable cause. Um, because if it, look, if, if it smells that, the, the only way that you're going to smell a, a small amount, there's no way you're going to smell a small amount. Um, if you're smoking it, then you're just, in a, in a vehicle, then then you're gonna smell it. Even though I have I have smelled uh, I did some volunteer work on a hemp farm, preparing for my uh, uh, to teach my cannabis class, and I brought some hemp back in a just it was one I mean the farm was it was organic and it was you know the plants were beautiful and the smell it was just like wow this is really you know, really talking about, you know, back to nature, it was, it was, uh, 
Uh, it was very interesting. It was very interesting. I learned a lot over that weekend. Um, so I bought some uh, um, some freshly cut hemp back with me. It was in a Ziploc, and I had it in my briefcase, and I had it in a, in, a, in my closet. And, and my wife walked in the house. She was like, it smells like weed in here. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it, it's there. And then I've got some other friends of mine who are, are now that it's become legal um, have really have really indulged, and there's some stuff that is you know I can I'm gonna buy his, I'm gonna buy his back fortune. I'm like, man, I can smell this. So there's some very powerful, you know, and it's, you know it's a wonderful floral depending on the on the on the on the type. So um, it doesn't answer your question, but I, I I would the the amount of weed that I think you would have to have in that car would be substantial because I bought that big bag from the, the of hemp and then my friend who also is um, very indulgent in in marijuana, he's got pretty large 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 uh, large quantities of it. Yeah. So. Let me let me put it this way. Like I you I, I hear your point. Let me put it this way though. Bruce Rauner decriminalized cannabis, you remember that? It was like 10 grams or something like that. Yeah. It's like a small amount, but the key, this is what's crazy to think about for, from my perspective and hear me out here, that 10 grams you could have had in your front pocket. You could have had like the law did not say anything about, uh, now the law reads, it's gotta be in this container. It's gotta be childproof. Like the law has gotten stricter. Yeah. And usually you think decriminalization is like the baby step towards legalization, but it's like, wait a minute. No. That's, that's kind of where I'm approaching it, where it's like, I, I hear your point where it's like, you know, you, if you're smelling it, somebody's probably smoking it or has smoked it, or there was a large quantity in the car. Like I get that, but it's crazy how the law has seemed to have gotten a little stricter since legalization yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and we've talked about you and i had this conversation and i've uh, the the fit they screwed this they screwed this up yeah they yeah. really screwed this up and and i was very disappointed because you know i i was asked to to review some of the of it and, and they i think it was just kind of like a yeah let's let, let, let's let them take a look let, let's let me take a look at it um but what disappointed me was that that uh, Heather Steens and Kelly Cassidy, the two uh, legislators that actually proposed and introduced it, and they flew all around the friggin' world, the country for sure. I'm sure they went around. I don't know if they went around the world. I know they went around the country looking at applications of, of legalization. They came here. They put this this thing together, and done nothing they, they did not i thought that this was so important that it could be like the legislation to like when roosevelt created social security it was like this is like the pinnacle of my legislative existence right always be remembered for signed it i was at the, the when they did the introduction it was on the West Side, Kim Fox was there, Pritzker was there, and you know, I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, this is really 
Heather Steens is gone. She's not even a center anymore. She she resigned, you know, and I don't know what Kelly Cassidy is doing, but they just it's it lays fallow. There's nothing, you know, you would think that they would they would they would they would actually, I don't know if this is built in to where they would review it after like, two years and, and 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 try to make the adjustments that it's done. I don't think anything's going to change at this point in time, which is very disappointing. I lost one of the things. One of the things I have to say, my bad, and I was muted. Um, I thank you for bringing that up because I think there are shortcomings to the bill. I definitely think we can build on it to just put it lightly. And uh, one of the main failures I think is one thing you pointed out, which I want to actually cite the first sentence out of the law, which backs up your point. The, the law itself said what you just said. Uh, but before I get to that, I think another shortcoming of the law is that one of the things, and you can look this up, uh, I'll do my best to remember uh, to put this in the, I'm all about citations, so you can read up on this reporting. Um, one of the things that Cassidy and Staines, I believe, uh, I know Cassidy for sure, said that they would address uh, was the transparency of the licensing, which, look, you need to look no further than the gambling industry, uh, you know, to see some of the issues that have come up with regard to lack of transparency and licensing. Look, these are specialty licenses. You're privileged licenses. And with that privilege, I'm sorry, I'm just saying, I don't even need to go any further than that. I So they said they were going to address that. There was reporting that showed that, and ultimately they did not address it. All of that information is still under locked box, and we just kind of have to trust the state to enforce their own rules. So really quick to your point that you brought up, I wanted to just show the first language or the first sentence in the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act. It says, in the interest of allowing law enforcement to focus on violent and property crimes, uh, the General Assembly finds and declares that the use of cannabis should be legal for persons 21 years of age or older and should be taxed in a manner, manner similar to alcohol. It's funny. I don't think we even, uh, even met that goal. So that's right out of the law. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, the, the, uh, um, that's actually one of the, like, what, what the state's attorney's office is looking at also, um, in terms of, of applying resources. Um, Kim Fox, it no, will, will no longer prosecute uh, small amounts of marijuana possession. She won't even, don't even bring it into the courts. Um, and the the largest number of, of uh, court cases in Cook County are related to retail theft. So she changed the limit, um, I think it's a thousand bucks. So you gotta steal an awful lot to reach that threshold. And then the second most uh, cases are related to minor um, cannabis possession. Um, so she's taking those off the docket, essentially. Um, the third is unlawful use of a weapon. So according to Kim Fox, she wants to apply her resources to, to, the, um, to that more violent crime, the unlawful use of a weapon. Um, at the cost of, I would say, ignoring the other the other two 
more prevalent uh, issues. I'm okay with the with the with the with the weed. Um, you know, we're kind of ignoring that. Uh, retail theft has turned into a kind of a mess. So, so it's not. What I'm saying is this: that law enforcement, and she's a law enforcement agent, is also looking at at trying to focus on the more violent crimes um, and, 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 and devoting resources to it. Uh, in theory, because, I mean, if you turn on the TV or read the newspaper, there's still a lot of things going on in terms of violent crime in the city and the county. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I did not know that, that that was the very opening line of the, uh, uh, of the law itself. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, uh, so I wanted to give, I think this is a good segue unless you have other thoughts on cannabis. We've kind of touched on the CRTA and I want to segue to what, you know, some of the things like modern policing and such, but you brought up a few topics that I wanted to make sure to, if you wanted to talk about them a little bit more, we could. Um, the Opioid Overdose Prevention Act, I think is what it yes. was called. And yes. uh, of course, the Cure Act, which I love and I'd be happy to talk about. But I don't know about the first one you mentioned. So please uh, tell me uh, and my audience a little bit more about it. Um, we were talking a little bit before the show and it sounded like a really progressive like proposal. So um, I'd love to hear more from your perspective. So it, it is... House Bill 002. And it provides for overdose prevention sites, safe consumption sites, where there will be medical supervision of drug use and monitored. Um, so they're to prevent fatal overdoses. And the, because the, the, the supplies will be um, sterile and also what you bring in will also be checked, whether it contains. Now, now the, the, the issue with fentanyl um, is that these, these it's some of it is now undetectable on this. If, so if you're doing a field test, some of the fentanyl is is undetectable with the field test. Yeah, I feel like, hear me out on this. I talked to somebody who does drug testing. I think it's because, I mean, these aren't coming from regulated sources, so they're not homogenous mixtures. Yeah. They're very much a heterozygous. I'm bringing out my old uh, freshman year of high school. <laughs> Uh, like science that. class but but that's what it is right and for folks that don't want to google it heterozygous is an uneven mixture homogenous is a is it's like a coca-cola every drink yes. is the same yeah. weird plug for coca-cola but that's all i could think of right now <laughs> so yeah so the uh overdose prevention this house bill 002 um would provide for safe consumption sites and um this is not new to other parts of the country and the world. Um, it's going to be, I think, I mean, I'd like to think that, that we as a society are open-minded enough to support this, 
but I don't know. Um, we're going to put something together. We meeting, uh, leave. I must, I might be testifying on Friday. Is it the eighth? Oh no, it's Wednesday. Uh, I believe that's when this bill is going to be on the floor. Um, but what it's going to do is it, it's going to reduce the number of overdose deaths, um, reduction in the visibility of public drug use, HIV, hepatitis C are also parts of, uh, you know, ancillary results of, of, of not using clean needles. Um, and, and, and I think that that's the most important in my mind is the reduction of, of fatalities. And, and it's been proven to, to, to do that. Um, what do we have here? We could have had 4,000 preventable deaths from opioids uh, had we had we um, implemented this uh, previously. So that that is, I think, a very important um, um, a very important. Well, it's going to be a hopefully it's going to be a law. Um, yeah. So I, I I signed on. I believe Leap is going to sign on as an as an organization. Um, the Illinois Cure Act. You're a fan of that. Right. Yes, I am a supporter of the Cure Act. Yeah. So, so am I coming from uh, like what little harm reduction? I mean, I, I what um, when I worked with you know, Leap asked me to become a speaker on a couple of different subject matters, and um, and harm reduction was one of those, and that's actually how I got my gig at uh, at, uh, at at Wright College was. Um, I put together a presentation that incorporated prohibition um, and also um, what was going on nationwide in terms of, of, of harm reduction, police diversion, where and we have this in Chicago now, um, and I believe uh, the police officers are carrying the locks Naloxone, uh, which is, uh, you know, that, that has been going on on the East Coast and other parts of the country for a long time. You know, Chicago is always kind of late to the game. You know, they're, 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 I don't know why the police department, you know, it's, it's just kind of monolithic in a lot of, in a lot of aspects. So, uh, but now, now they're nasal naloxone trained um, and so I was bringing, I, I put together this, this presentation that included what other law enforcement agencies were doing strategically to, uh, um, and one of those things it's called um, uh, LEAD, Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion. And it began in Seattle uh, during the HIV crisis. Um, what was happening was, this is really funny, it's not funny to say. So, so there was an organization out there that now is transforming into, into lead. Um, and what they were doing is they were providing, they were providing um, syringes for safe injections, and they were also providing condoms for sex workers to try to cut down on the on, 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 on AIDS spread. 
So what do you think the CNL, so they, what they would do is they would set up tables in certain areas where it was prevalent, where there were sex workers and there was drug use. So what do you think the, the response of the Seattle Police Department was? So they're, so they're, so they're locking up these volunteers for blocking the sidewalk with their tables. <laughs> then they would lock up, sex, if, they, if they came across a sex worker that had one of those condoms that were given by that organization, they would say, wow. oh, you're a sex worker. We're like, locking you up for, <laughs> like, no. So anyway, it, it wound up happening. The ACLU sued and found out that, uh, that the vast number of, of individuals that are being locked up were, were African-American. But what wound up happening was it opened up a discussion between law enforcement and, and, the, uh, um, and the organization and lead, the organization that wanted to do you know, harm reduction. So that opened up and, and they created this where now um, if, you, if you are in possession of uh, heroin or cocaine, um, or or you or you're locked up for any type of crime that supports your your uh, your uh, substance use disorder, like shoplifting or prostitution, you have the option to go into treatment rather than go to jail. And that's what we want to do. Going to jail with someone who has a substance use disorder is not going to help them. It's not going to help our society. So that's what Chicago has adopted this. They've made some changes. Um, it's, it's, I think it's five or eight ounces in, uh, in, uh, in the lead, um, in the lead, the, air, the law enforcement agencies that use lead as the, uh, as the model. In Chicago, it's only, uh, I think it's one ounce, you know, which is kind of restrictive. I think they should expand that, but at least they're thinking about it. So, um, so there, I believe there's there's five prototype districts now that that uh, that you can they're they're working with uh, um, with with the thresholds is the social service agency, and it's saving lives. It really is saving lives. There's individuals that that have uh, I don't have the, the current totals. Um, I will because I'm going to present this to my classes towards the end of the semester. So, uh, no, it, it's working. It, 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 it's saving lives. And I'm glad that Chicago is moving in a more progressive uh, yeah. more progressive direction. Yeah, thank you for bringing that topic up because that's what I was going to follow up. The, the My only question about the Opioid Overdose Prevention Act, but it, I, I assumed there were already programs to cover for it. But what you'll often hear critics of these measures say is like, Oh, so we're just providing a safe haven. We're not getting these people help. It's like, no, there are programs for that. These, this is also important, though. Like, we can yes. walk and chew bubble gum. Yes. Right? Yes. And we have to meet those individuals where they are. So if they're, if they're ready to take advantage of that, then hopefully they will. If they're not, they know at some point where they can go to and if in fact they want to make changes in their lives, they have that availability. So that stigma. So what's really interesting is with the with the lead 
So the first responders are often, you know, when, 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 when if there's an overdose particularly um, and you call 911 or someone calls 911, with the Good Samaritan law, that allows for you, you're, no one's getting arrested if you're trying to save somebody's life um, because in most cases, the ratio is one to five or one to seven police versus uh, um, um, I think it's, it's one to one to three versus one to five or one to seven. So if you call nine one one, the cops are showing up first. The ambulance is not showing up. The cops are going to be there first. So you don't want to lock anybody up because they're because they're they've got paraphernalia, they've got drugs there. You want to save that person's life. That's that's in jeopardy. That 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 that's in jeopardy. So the good the good Samaritan law provides for that, which is which is a good thing. But the other thing is that with working with law enforcement and, and, and educating police officers and law enforcement agencies, they understand now that there are options available and they understand the disease better rather than, 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 than stigmatizing these individuals. And I think that's a huge step forward um, for trying to, you know, you know, I'd, I'd like to see the, the drug war end completely, but if we if we start to chip away at it, uh, particularly with 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 first responders, with police officers that are going to meet these individuals, uh, you know, in, in that space where you know where where, where they're where they're using, um, I think that's a huge step a huge step forward. Absolutely, and just really quick, but I don't want to forget, how would people uh, how best would people support? the law enforcement action program that's leap right yeah law enforcement action partnership and he, oh sorry law enforcement action partnership i've got yeah. the website up my apologies yeah, you can you, you can see the uh um we like the, the main programs are community responder model which mm-hmm. is which when we talk about we talk about uh health health care crises uh or mental health crises that is uh again what we're trying to do is we are trying to provide help for the individuals that need the help, but also free up law enforcement to work on issues that are much more um, like violent crime issues. Um, and that's what the co-responder model um, um, allows, allows law enforcement to do. So, um, so it's certainly not anti-police. LEAP is Everybody that's involved in LEAP is either a former law enforcement, um, a judge, uh, or 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 prosecutor. So everyone has a great deal of respect for the law enforcement community, but they also have a great deal of experience. And that experience has proven that a, a lot of things we've been doing up till now aren't solving the problems. That's why we're moving in, the, in a more progressive, in a more progressive direction. So how can you help? Donate. <laughs> Donate. But more importantly, well, not more importantly, but as important is to, 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 to support the, particularly now, I've got three very important pieces of legislation that LEAP is going to be supporting, like right now. Like in the next the next few weeks in the state of Illinois. So if you believe 
that we should have overdose prevention sites. If you believe that that um, descheduling um, descheduling um, psychedelics in order to help individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder or 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 um, or depression um, then support House Bill One. If you believe that juveniles who are arrested should have more chances for restorative justice and community-based interventions rather than saddle them and their families with fines for not complying because, because they can't comply. They don't have the money, simply. Then you have the opportunity to, you know, to reach out to your legislators and, and, uh, and, and, and help support these three very, very important. What was the number on the, the last one you mentioned with the juvenile fines? Uh, the juvenile is I've got to get, I try to, you know, Google Docs kind of screwed me up here. Um, no problem. If so you want to get Google, it to me after the show, I can throw it in the podcast yeah, the, description. The, the Google Docs um, kind of screwed me up. I tried to cut and paste it, and I'm not really a Google, even though I do use Google Docs with uh, with my um, at school. It's all quite, good. Quite, we quite can yeah, we can throw it in. Uh, the description for for people that want to support. Sure, that. it's actually it, it's actually a House bill and a, a Senate bill. It's Senate Bill one four six three, okay, and House Bill three one two zero, juvenile fines and fees. I'm trying to eliminate those or or uh, mitigate those two bills. I'll, I'll have to write those down so I know. Thank uh, you for. Uh... For, no, thank you for the opportunity to uh, um, to speak about you know um, about what we both think, and a lot of people share this uh, are, are are important important uh, uh, initiatives. Yeah. So feel free to add uh, to this, but I think the best way to support some of these bills would be to. First and foremost, I think, uh, and maybe this is not in any particular order, but I think it would include all these things. In, uh, reach out to your elected representative, whether that's in the House or the Senate, and tell them about these bills and that you support these bills and that they should too, they should co-sponsor these bills. Then I think you should also look at, and we can put a link in the podcast description. I think this is the hearing you're referring to at least for, I know the cure act, there's going to be a hearing on March 8th at 10 AM. Yeah. So um, if you want to um, now the witness slips, particularly you can submit up into the conclusion of the committee hearing. Right. Um, so what you would do in that case, uh, you can click create witness slip and we'll also throw some, um, instructions on how to fill out a witness slip in the podcast description. If this is something you'd like to do, those are some ways that you can support these initiatives. So you can see the Cure Act at the top there. Uh, you'd have to search to see where on the agenda the other bills we mentioned are, but that's how you do it roughly. And like I said, we'll paste that link in the podcast description and some instructions. Anything else you might add on uh, how they could support the legislation or, or leap? Um, uh, no, I, I, I just think that that um, in you, your podcast in particular uh, is focused on 
on um, on these initiatives. Um, I, I just, I yeah, just civil liberties. Yes, and I and I just wish that I think that if your listeners and they and I, and I guess is they probably do do this try to share the ideas that you've been presenting the podcast with with you know just try to get everyone that they know uh to think a little bit differently you know especially when it comes to there's still you know so many people that you know that i mentioned more psychedelics and they're like whoa you know like yeah you know like no 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 you know and then uh they're way past the cannabis thing with me. They're like, oh yeah, I know. Um, so uh, I just just to share and 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 I don't want to say the word educate because I don't really like that term. Um, you know, just to to propagate the movement forward of yeah. of these of these ideas, and always to remember that the basis of 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 any of this work, particularly with 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 with, with Leap, is we're trying to help people. That's that that that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish, you know. And the more people that we help, the better our society is going. So you know, it's, it, it might sound whole corny, but that's how I feel, you know. So that's that's really how how I feel. So I want to make this place, you know, the world a better place to uh, to live. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I, I've got a few more questions for you, if that's okay. Um, uh, this is a good one, I think, for you. Uh, I have a feeling that either people that have thought about being in law enforcement or listening to this show or in law enforcement or formerly law enforcement, you know, since it's a law enforcement episode, right? So I've my question is, I've got some friends uh or I guess people that I went to school with, uh, I don't know if they consider me a friend, who knows? Um, but I, I consider them a friend, right? Uh, my question is what advice would you give to people who are interested in pursuing a career in law enforcement, but may have concerns about the current state of drug policy, right? So, um, I've got friends that are my age and they have those conflictions. Like they know a stoner. Yeah. Um, and of course weed is we're dealing with weed differently now, but yeah, my, again, my question is what, what do you, What's your advice uh, for people who are interested in pursuing a career in law enforcement but may have concerns about the current state of drug policy? You know, I, I, uh, the, the, the drug policy issue is um, particularly now with, uh, I mean, even the standards have changed. So uh, I don't believe that a while ago it was if you try to get on the FBI and, and, and you and you said that you would use drugs before you were gone. Then I think they changed it to five years and then they changed it to 10 years. And now I don't even think they asked the question. So, um, because then if you, if you say you didn't do it and they put you on a polygraph and then they ask you again, then you lied and then you're gone for sure. So I, I, I don't think that, that um, and, this, and it's just as a generational thing. I think this way, uh, because you know, I, I you know, I grew up in that environment with um, you know, we was you know, we you know, we had guy and I just, you know, that when, when we were somebody had it, then you know, it was yeah, we'll do this, and 
almost we used to call it skunk weed from Wisconsin, you know, because or, or ditch weed, which is funny because because how cannabis grows is in a nitrogen soiled setting, you know, where there's garbage and refuse and what have you. And if there's moisture there and there's sunlight, it's gonna so that's why we would call it ditch weed, because you would you could find it on the side of the road in some places up in Wisconsin. So um, I, I think it's different now. I think that, that generationally, um, it's more accepted. So I, I don't think that, I, I would not dissuade anybody, and I don't think you're gonna get a hard argument about all oh, these stoners or these, or these, you know, uh, I think that law enforcement now has come around to where we understand substance use disorder as, as a disease. Um, I think that they should be a little bit more worried about the perception of being in law enforcement and particularly with the black and brown community, how you're viewed as a police officer, which is negatively. Um, but the, as I said earlier, the vast majority of contact between law enforcement and the black and brown community is based on, I think is the suspicion of drug activity or drug sales or, or use. So if we start to move away from that, then we can start to talk about healing the community as you know, as as what what law enforcement can do um, in support of, of of a community rather than coming in there and and the first thing you think is they're going to beat me up, they're going to lock me up, you know, and it's and it's not like that. It shouldn't be like that. I mean, we're we're you know every every student I've had for the last. Two and a half years, I asked them the first question I asked them when they take my class is, Why do you want to be a police? If in fact you want to be a police officer, I don't have all students say, Well, why do you want to be a police officer? Every single one of them tells me, Because I want to help people. So that's what we need to concentrate on. That's what your, your, your friends need to concentrate on is, is that aspect of it. And then the way things are, are now, it's still very divisive. It's very, very depending on. And you know who you're who you're talking to, but once you get out of that slot car and you walk around, you know, and you talk to people as a human being, and you'll see, as we said earlier, all, they want the same things that you want. You know, they want safety for their family, they want a roof over their head. You know, they want an, an, an income, food. You know, just enjoy life. You know, with their with their with their family and friends. So they're we're really no you know we're we're all human beings. Well, I, I wouldn't dissuade them from. And here's another thing too: they want a good job with a pension. <laughs> they could do that. I mean, it's the great. The job is great. You know, you can go into a situation where you can find your way within that law enforcement agency. You know, um, so that that I think is is important also. Um, and, and there's a lot of opportunity because a lot of people, a lot of young people now are being. Um, um, dissuaded from going to law enforcement because of the issues with law enforcement and, and the black man. Most of my students are Hispanic and they get it from their friends. Like, man, why do you want to be a cop? Look, what's, look what the police are doing. And I tell them, no, that's, more, that's all the more reason why you want to be a police officer. So you can go in there and make the changes that you see necessary. From the outside, it's not going to happen. It, it could happen, but you you have a chance to do it from from you know from the from the inside. So, um, no, I, I wouldn't. And, and there's 
a lot of jobs that are that are open. I've got a friend of mine who retired. He's moving down to uh, uh, outside of Nashville, and he's got his pick from. He's got some experience with Chicago. I haven't been in Chicago for a long time, but he's got job offers. And he told me, he said, they're, you know, we're dying for law enforcement. You know, we're dying for, for police officers. So it's a good job. And the most important thing is you're at a chance to really make change, to really help people in a positive way. Yeah. So I've got two, two like final questions. I mean, it's possible other things will pop up, but two, two more planned questions. Um, the first one is, is kind of in the spirit of that idea that that you just were talking about. It is a good job, right? Um, I I have always liked the idea of being a police officer, and I think I've even made the joke on the show that I'd be the police officer that like pulls you over and doesn't just slap you on the wrist for speeding. I'll be like, dude, look, hey, hold on a second. I'll pull something up on YouTube. You want to see what happens when your tire blows out at 80 miles an hour? Like I would try to make it an educational experience. And I know that, uh, you probably, this is probably where people say, yeah, you're just trying to help everybody. But it's like, seriously, that's, but I thought that's what my job was, you know, yeah. like I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not just saying like, I'm not just, just the guy that caught you for the number 79, you know, in a 70. And yeah. that's what I'm getting you about. It's like, dude, I'm looking out for your well being. I don't want to, pick you out of the median or whatever, if your tire were to blow out. Um, so, but my question is, I, I think it probably is a good job in many ways, but I hear a lot of, of, you know, and it's, it tends to be in the, like the spirit of like the thin blue line thing or whatever, but what is the job, has the job become harder? Is there any truth to that narrative? Like, I'm just curious when you retired in 2020, did you, did you, I don't take you as the person that felt like that, but did you have a sentiment or feeling that other people felt like, man, people hate law enforcement? Cause you know, it was, it was around 2020 and such that time that there were a lot of protests and the, the whole, uh, defund the police thing became a big thing. So like, what's, what's your take on that? And like, you, you, you did mention that, you know, morale is low. So I know I just threw a kind of a large topic at you, but what what is the state of being a police officer with that in mind like is it really challenging like uh the the, the thing that really uh changed hurt morale was um during the 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 um that unsettled summer of 2020 i believe it was 2020 right that unsettled summer of 2020 the, it's hard to remember. It's all a blur. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The, I think you're right. The, what what I was sharing information with, with still my colleagues that still work, um, that, and, and my wonderful friend, uh, Michaelina Alexa, who's the commander of the, uh, now she's the commander of the 17th district. And she's a wonderful person and a great police officer. And she was the only ta tactical lieutenant, female tactical lieutenant, um, on Chicago Police Department, which that tells you something, right? She's the only female. So um, she told me that, that there was no plan going into this unrest. And she said that she was working, she worked 30 plus days in a row without getting a day off. And she was so exhausted for not only herself, but for her 
for the tech officers that worked for her, and she would go into her office at the end of the 12-hour shift, shut the door, close the blinds, and cry. And that's how much pressure she was. And she, and she told me that, that everybody hated the police. And, and she said part of that was because the police reaction after working your 25th day in a row, you know, how do you expect somebody to say, you know what, I'm sorry, this is, you know, I understand what's going on here. What, no, and it reached a point where, 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 where we had come, we had, we had met at such loggerheads with the public and the police department that um, uh, it was dangerous for everybody. So thankfully that subsided. Um, I think we should take the opportunity to, and now what's gonna happen is with the, with the police councils that have been elected, each police district now has a council representative um, and they're charged with, I believe, um, working with the police departments and the community as a type of liaison between those two entities. We're gonna see that that's not gonna be an easy, an easy job because but they have to have you have to have police officers that have that open mind. Like I said, my friend, my, my partner Freddie was like, when he told me, you go talk to those you like those people, you go talk to them. I'm sitting in the car. You know, I think that, that that is changing now. I think the two years or the two and a half years since that, we're starting to to um to be more understanding of of each other's uh situations there. So um, I, I personally, I can't listen. I wasn't, you know, at, at, at the, at the, at the Logan statue, uh, it wasn't the Christopher Columbus statue. It was the Logan statue um, on Michigan Avenue. Uh, I mean, how do you think a police officer would feel what the protesters were, what they did prior was they put cases of soda pop in garbage cans surrounding that statue, knowing that they were going later on to protest. And they were throwing full, if you see that video, they're throwing full cans of soda pop at the police officers that were surrounding that statue. You know, so how, how, how do you reconcile that at either person's, at either group's, well, certainly on the protesters' part, these police officers were like, hey, go over here and protect this statue, and you're going to pelt them with full cans of, 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 of soda pop? You know, I, to me, that was like, what are we doing here? So had I been in that situation, I wouldn't have been too happy. So, you know, not that the reaction by the police should be over the top and in, 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 in a return of violence, but, I mean, think about that. I mean, put yourself in that situation. Uh, and police officers were hurt. Imagine getting hit in the head with a full can of pop from, you know, that's got some trajectory and some some torque to it, too. So that's what you, you know, we're up. We're past that now. We're, we're, we're past that. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can heal. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for addressing that. I'm just, yeah, I was curious, you know, if, if it felt futile, I know other law enforcement, you know, I've tried, tried to interview active law enforcement because I know some, and, you know, 
they all talk about like you know privately with me how bad morale is and how everybody's retiring and such um but i can't tell if it's like they're in their own ecosystem and they really have like a you know i can't it's hard for me to tell and so sometimes i serve as a check on that like i ask like you know like what is the big deal right and they're able to explain it and sometimes having that outside perspective and having to explain that they realize like what is and isn't actually worth leaving about right but but yeah i just hear that all the time that you know it's not good right now no it's it's a stressful situation too particularly if you're out there every single day you know i i I unfortunately wasn't uh uh wasn't in the in the in the in the thick of it there um whether that be from just you know i I, working with uh uh working with the attorneys but i did i did have some 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 uh individuals within city government that recognized i had certain skills and they and 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 knew that i could apply those skills um within different uh areas of the uh not only the police department but the, the city itself but not everybody has that you know that that good fortune um now i i i don't you know i and it it's it's to make those to meet that challenge on a daily basis um is is uh it takes a special person so um you know i i just i i i just want everyone to keep in mind that that no police officer wakes up in the morning and says you know what i'm gonna do today I'm gonna go shoot some black kid. Right. No, it doesn't. Happen. It doesn't. Happen. So, um, um, I, I, I just, you know, it, it's gonna, there's going to be a need for, and I'm hoping that this community, um, this community, th- these police, police um, uh, council members, they're also going to be charged with selecting the superintendent. Each one of those, every district, I think they're going to have seven individuals from a citywide area are going to be are going to are going to be appointed or elected, and that 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 seven are going to pick the superintendent. So that's a a, a, a huge responsibility, uh, and I'm hoping that that they will be true liaisons between the community and the police, um, almost as if they're community members that are embedded in the police department. So now we're not like, I'm in a squad car, I'm in a police district, and you're in the community. Now you've got community people that are gonna be in that in that police district and in those squad cars. And I think it's gonna give everybody a better perspective. So I'm hopeful, I'm, 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 I'm uh, optimistic, hopefully optimistic, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, our last, last question is, uh, it's kind of just to inform the public really, because it, it kind of is in the same spirit of what you just said, which is like, these are humans. They wake up every morning and, and really, like you said, when you ask your students, it's because they want to do a good job. They want to protect their communities and they want to protect people. They None of them are getting in the job because they want to shoot or be in that situation at all like optimally you're not in that situation i would think right um 
but I did want to ask like with regard to like the image of, of police today, and we can describe why this looks this way, but I recently saw uh, this video on Reddit and it's the Illinois state police pulling up. And I want to make sure that I, that we're clear that, you know, we don't have the full context of what's happened and everything and what's going on, or at least I don't, but I just wanted to show this for our people that are watching. If you're not watching, it's chillinois.net slash video. Um, so Ugh. the Illinois state police pulled up to a property. And again, I don't know what happened. I'm not going to play the sound, but what I want you to see, first of all, is the military equipment, but also, and I don't think anybody's expecting me to say this, but these people look scared. And I, I, you know, they look ridiculous too. I will say that. I don't know why you're wearing night goggles in the morning, why you yeah. even have that equipment with you. But I, what I want to say is that what I, my takeaway from this video is that these look like kids and they look like they're just trying to do their job and they're scared. Now, look, I don't know what they did and it obviously was excessive. They're pulling up in this military equipment. This middle guy here is going to bring out what he calls a less than lethal grenade. And he says, don't worry, I would only shoot it at your lower or at mid portion. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that makes me feel better. Um, that's just me joking. Again, my point in showing this is not to get into the politics or, or the context of this specific issue. What I wanted to tell people that are wondering why the police look like this Am I wrong in saying it's the 1033 program? Uh, or, or something to that effect? Do you yes, get, it, it, you get it, how I'm approaching it, this? Yeah, it, it, it isn't for your, your, your listeners, um, that program. Here's a mentality that, and I, I also uh, helped write an op-ed with, um, and I can send it to you and you can post it on this episode. It's uh, um, with some warrior policing, the warrior policing mentality, and how we have to, we, the law enforcement has to get away from that. It has to, it has to really get away from that. And actually, Bradley, Brad, I don't know if I've got it here or I've got it at school. I think I've got it at school. Bradley Ranco wrote an entire book on, on the warrior policing mentality. And I don't think that there's, in certain situations, there is a need to, to, to do that, to bring in that, that type of response. But I think that in a lot of cases, um, police departments are way too heavy handed and want to jump to that thing right, right away, which is, you know, absent, which is completely opposite of, or different than what, what they would train somebody to do. You wouldn't come out like this. You want to, come out on this level, and if you have to raise it, then fine. But you pull in one, one of those one of those bear cats, and those guys dress like like you know like like an occupying army, what do you think the reaction is gonna be by, by people? So no, I will send you the link um, if I could on the warrior policing. And it's one of the things that I that I um, tell you know impart to my students that we we can't it, it can't be that way. We're not an occupying army. We can't be seen as an occupying army. And that's, I think, part of the reason that right away, in the, you know, the community would, would, would uh, I mean, if that, if that thing pulled up in front of your house, what's the first thing you're going to do? I mean, I mean yeah. 
crap in them. They're like, holy, what the? You know, so that's the reaction. You can't get a different reaction than that. So you, right. you, and if that's the reaction you want, okay. But I don't see why you would want to have that reaction. You know, You're it's right. a military right. vehicle. It's a military vehicle. Yeah, I'll send you the, the my warrior mentality. I was part involved in that, um, and it was it's a good op-ed, and it it lays out um, why why we have to move away from from that, and, and one of the reasons is the 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 perception that we are completely at this at, at a point like that we are completely diverging from society as we know it. When you come in with a freaking tank dressed up in, 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 in armor like that, now it's like, hold on, what, you know, it's just a, no, we don't want that. And we want to get away from that as much as we can. Yeah. And did I connect, did I mistakenly connect two dots on the 1033 program? Like, do you, would you agree that like from what I understand for folks that are listening and maybe yeah. you can refine my understanding because I don't know a lot about it. I'll be honest. But uh, the 1033 program, it's this idea that like military equipment can right. be sent basically to law enforcement, auctioned off at a super cheap price. And so people are wondering like, where the fuck did they get a tank? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, used, I used to be in Champaign-Urbana uh, a lot and uh, I actually will be there later this week. And the city of Champaign has a tank. I don't think they call it that anymore because the perception of a tank has changed since they had gotten it. Yeah. But, um, right. Uh, so am I, am I connecting the dots correctly or what are, what are, can you give back? And do I have a accurate background of the 1033 program? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. I, I think it, they either offer it at a discount um, because some of that, some of that uh, equipment is outdated. So mm -hmm. that, not, that, not that much outdated. It can still be, still be utilized. Um, but that's up to, you know, it's kind of, it's almost like keeping up with the Joneses. If, if, if Naperville's got a Bearcat, then Downers Grove wants a Bearcat. Sure. You know, so, uh, um, the, 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 the um, I've got the word, I've got my, the op-ed was in the crime report a couple of years back. And it's actually how warrior policing undermines us law enforcement. And oh, it's boy. very, very, uh, um, you know, it's this mindset, this warrior policing mindset that we have to win at all costs. We can't come, you know, um, that that's primarily um, the basis of this. And 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 when you walk, when you go into a situation, whether it's in a bear cat um, with armor, or it's in a and it's in a situation where you've been called on as a police officer, and and you've got to deal with someone one on one. In that situation, um, you, you feel it escalate, but you still feel that you've got to take it to the, the 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 ultimate conclusion by locking somebody up um, or wrestling with them or what have you, rather than stopping and stepping back and say, you know what, maybe we do this better on another day. Um, so you've got this mentality, you just can't, you cannot. You can't lose it at, at any cost. And it costs police officers their lives in some cases, and it costs them their homes and their pensions. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very, you know, I'm not in favor of the, uh, the militarization of, 
of, of law enforcement, quite the opposite. I think we need to be a, a kinder, gentler uh, police force. So yeah, like I said, Bradley, Bradley, Bradley Balco uh, wrote a book, and I don't have it with me, I've got it at school, uh, that goes into quite a bit of detail on warrior policing and, it, and, and the problems that it causes. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you for mentioning that so folks can look into it and, and research. We're all about yeah. trying to give people things so that they can pick up and run with it, you know? Right. Um, well, hey, Dave, um, we're at the top of our time slot. I could talk with you for many more hours, um, but we'll 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 save it for next time. I think we'll have an opportunity to chat again in the future. Maybe we can make it happen in person. I'd love to meet you. Maybe we could go that, out to be, lunch that, or dinner that, afterwards. That, that, that'd be great. I'd like to my 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 harm reduction presentation. I'd like to do that uh, so we could talk about what law enforcement is doing in terms of that'd be law. awesome. Yeah, in terms of law enforcement, is doing go into detail about about the lead program and also in detail about uh, uh, police assisted uh, recovery, which is um, um, there, there's there's quite a few programs. As a matter of fact, there's a, uh, there's also a um, there's a program in um, God, uh, it might be Downers Grove where now any. Uh, there's a police call related to to involvement with a juvenile offender or a juvenile yeah juvenile offender um, or subject that actually um, um, individuals that are trained to deal with with youth professionally um, are are responding to those calls. So we're taking it a step further from just like the mental uh, a mental health crisis type call. So, you know, law enforcement's working, uh, I guess, as I said earlier, that to have that open mindset, you know, um, to not, to, to, to letting go uh, and not having to think that they've got to fix every problem that they're, that, 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 that they're faced with. So, yeah, I'd like to talk, I'd like to come back at some point in time and go over my, uh, my harm reduction presentation. That would be, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I guess just as a last thought, if anybody heard, heard, if anybody felt like they could learn more from you and are interested in law enforcement, how would they go about seeking a formal education with you in it? Oh, uh, they could get me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and um, the, the, you can post my, my contact information if you, if you'd like on the, uh, sure. Uh, on, on the website, it's dfranco3211 and Gmail. And, I, and if anybody wants to talk to me about about what Leap is doing, any of the uh, uh, any of the legislation that's moving forward, or anything that they want to talk about law enforcement related, um, um, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Or they can they can come to Wright College and take my classes. That's actually what I was asking. Is it like WrightCollege.edu or what? Yeah, no, Wright College. Yeah, we're 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 at uh, Narragansett and. Uh, and Montrose uh, in the Dunning area of uh, right by, by Harlem and Irving, by the Dunning area of uh, of Chicago. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, they, they they would one of my classes in person. Uh, my juvenile justice, my police organization and management classes in person. My juvenile justice classes online. I've got I've got twenty four students with my juvenile justice class. So because we're online, so I've got students from all over the Chicago land area. That actually attend different different city colleges, uh, so I'd be happy to uh, to to 
to have them would be, would be, would be wonderful. Sweet. Sweet. Well, there you go, folks. Right College, if you're looking for that formal education. Dave Franco, if you're just looking to connect to the man himself. And Leap, right? It was in the website. I just had it pulled up. We'll have it in the podcast description, folks, okay. if you'd like to um, look into Leap. Uh, it's the Law Enforcement Action Partnership, lawenforcementactionpartnership.org. Um, so be sure to... Uh, support the police officers that seem to be doing what the job should be, uh, in my opinion. Right. Um, kind of goes back to my idea of being the, the cool cop that like explains things. Right. It's like, Hey, I'm looking out for you. Try, you know, I really am looking out for your best interest. I don't, I want the best for you and I want the best for this community. So anyways, um, again, it's been a pleasure today. I hope you enjoyed your time. Um, I did indeed. Good to hear. And we'll, we'll see you on the next episode, folks. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Take care. Thanks, Cole. Mahalo. Thank you. <laughs>